You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. We have a really fun show for you this week. We're jokingly sponsored by Feisty Wheaties. Doesn't exist, but you'll find out what I mean in a minute when we get to the actual show. If you can, are willing and able, though, uh, please do consider supporting us at greenmajority.ca. You can go find the How You Support Us button or go to patreon.com slash greenmajority. Enjoy the show. Listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, sitting in studio with uh, a bunch of folks. I'll be introducing them in a, in a moment. Um, but I wanted to do a quick warning to our audience and a couple of things. Um, I ate my feisty Wheaties today. Oh. So, uh, man. If you're looking for a calm, relaxing show like we tried to do last week where I was like trying to zen out because we knew a lot of school children were listening, this is not your show. <laughs> this, is your, this is your show for, for potentially some plummets. I don't if know. You've we'll also, if you've also had some feisty Wheaties. There you go. If you've also had your feisty Wheaties this morning, you're going to love today's show. That was, of course, Stefan Hoster jumping in. Uh, we have uh, – and also Rich Penny is our guest. Rich has been on the show before uh, and uh, is a volunteer with the uh, Zeitgeist Toronto as well. And he's going to be coming in occasionally to do uh, little presentations for us today. Uh, well, actually, I'll let him introduce it in a second. Uh, but just before we get to that, I also wanted to do a, a quick announcement about the show. So we've been on the air since 2006. Uh, as many people know, uh, the show has gone through many formats and, and whatnot. And a, and a lot of the time that's actually had to do based on just our free time because we're volunteers and we're not paid. So the amount of time that, that we have sort of varies. Um, so one of the things we've always done is we've sort of had like a general interview format. Uh, we've generally been finding that that people, there's really, it's not just about what people enjoy, but there's a really desperate need for the news analysis part of that. So we've generally done that at the end of the show. It's generally a component of the show. Um, we're going to switch that up a little bit because there's an increasing need for this sort of media commentary. So this will be increasingly a, a news and politics analytics show we're going to start right from the top news story right at the beginning of the show and uh, look for a little bit more vinegar in the air, I guess. I was going to – there's more a More feisty Wheaties? More feisty Wheaties. There's going to be at least a 30% feisty Wheaties increase in the show. Uh, and that's just based on listener demand. So if you disagree with that and you like the interviews, email us and let us know. And if that sounds good to you, also email us and let us know because I read and respond to every single email, even if you're a crazy person. Don't I, Stefan? <laughs> you do. Because I forward you all the emails. Yes, exactly. All right. So with that, with that out, of, out of the way – we're going to go now to Rich. So, Rich, welcome to the Green Majority Program, and would you please introduce yourself and your topic? Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Darren. Uh, my name is Rich Penny. I am a volunteer with the Zeitgeist Toronto Movement. I will be speaking at the main Z-Day event in Athens this year, um, so you can check that out. Or um, if you can't afford to go, we will be having the talks up on YouTube. Uh, today I'm going to be talking to you a bit about the consequences of climate change and the devastating effects that it can have on this planet. So do you want me to just launch in? Yeah, go for it. Whereas Stefan and I may, may jump in at, at times to overemphasize you, but uh, by all means, the floor is yours. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, so as you all know, a few months ago there was the COP21 conference out in Paris. And uh, one of the things they all concluded uh, was that we have to keep the Earth's temperature from warming more than two degrees. Now, where does that figure come from? Uh, so there was a study by James Hansen. He's the former head of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. 
And what he found was that a temperature rise of more than two degrees can trigger what's called a feedback system. So what that means is that if the temperature rises a little bit, it can accelerate the pace of climate change. And when that happens, it, the warming happens even faster. So one of the things that can cause this is actually melting permafrost. Uh, so over thousands of years, the remains of many plants and animals were trapped underneath the permafrost. And if the temperature rises more than two degrees, that permafrost can thaw. And when the organic material isn't frozen anymore, it'll begin to decompose. And this will release tons and tons of methane gas into the atmosphere. That can further the warming cycle. Another study by doctors Kevin Schaefer, Hugh Lantwitt, and Va Vladimir Romanovsky at the University of Colorado concluded that melting permafrost could lead to a temperature rise of 0.5 degrees by 2100 with greater, greater warming after that. So let's, why don't we uh, why don't take a quick pause there, Rich, as well, just to underline uh, something actually you mentioned right before we got started on the show here, which was a lot of people really don't have any concept uh, of what sort of a degree warming or a half a degree warming. Um, let's let's maybe just put that in context. And Stefan, I know you can help on this, but mm -hmm. just like when we talk about like half a degree and people are like, what half a degree? Who cares? Right. Well, what's what's fascinating about that is is. We don't know. This, this, this is, I had this, it's I, so far outside of the norm that we have no idea, but it can't be good. Well, like or it, like what's like? There's a very, 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 very small possibility. It could be amazing. You know, maybe there is like is almost definitely won't be. Uh, but like, you know, science doesn't tell us a hundred percent accuracy anything, right? And so, like, what I find so funny about any of these sort of scientific things um, is that we have all this technology, and we've decided that all this technology means we can control everything. Hmm. And then you know, there's a massive blob. In the in the Pacific Ocean or Atlantic Ocean, in a ocean that is three degrees warmer than everything else around it, and we have no idea why. Yeah, and so it's, it's kind of like, like Russian roulette, except that the six chamber gun has six uh, five bullets, and one of them has bubble gum. Yeah, well, uh, more like a, <laughs> or like a like probably like two hundred thousand. Yeah, and one of them has bubble yes. gum. Yes, you're it really might... going for that bubble gum, though. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I encountered in my research is uh, – I'm not sure if most people remember it, but way back in 2003, uh, there was a serious heat wave throughout Europe. The heat wave r resulted in, I believe uh, – you may not want to quote me because um, I'm kind of drawing from memory here, but I believe there were about 4,000 deaths in the summer of 2003 throughout southern Europe. And um, – what the expectation is from a lot of climate scientists is that if the temperature rises two degrees, those kind of heat wave conditions will become the norm. Yeah, and that's the and that's the that's the big. Oh, you got, you got so two thousand three uh, two thousand three European heat wave left to the hottest or summer record in Europe since fifteen forty. Wow. Peer reviewed analysts place European death toll at more than seventy thousand. Wow. All right, so I really un underestimated it. So that that, the, the, that number is likely uh, likely including a much wider definition. So like uh, knock on effects and whatnot. You the number you remembered probably was like direct uh, was direct, and that this number would probably include indirect. But uh, just to emphasize your point. Okay. Right. And uh, so another, another thing that we need to concern ourselves with, um, the NRDC from the States points out that warming temperatures can cause other kinds of feedback. Uh, so one of those uh, issues is glaciers. Now, glaciers are white. And that means that they reflect sunlight back out into space. If they melt, they become the surface of the ocean, which is dark, which will trap more sunlight. So this leads to even faster warming. And that can lead to even greater heat waves, which can lead to even greater death tolls. Uh, I, what, I love about, what I love about this one specifically is it just, it's the most basic of science. 
It's like, have you ever touched something that's white? Is it cold enough that you've touched something that's dark? Yes. Oh, wow. And then, but put on a massive, massive scale. Like it's, it's, it's the same reason that people were, for a long time were advocating for making all our roofs white and how that actually would in some way decrease some of the war, would actually reflect more light. Yeah. Uh, but then of course, then, then the correlate of that was, but then it also wouldn't melt the snow on your roof. And so actually in colder times you couldn't do it. Right. Uh, but like it's all, it's like these solutions, those, those little pieces always sound so silly in your head. Uh, but then it's like, no, in a massive scale, these are actually – this is actually something that's, that, that science takes into account. You have to take into account. But it seems silly because it's literally just like, hey, you know, white things. They reflect light. That's cool. And it's so hard to take them seriously, but it, it's important that we do. But it's uh, it's also one of those things too where I, I sort of caution people from – like you're absolutely right, Stefan. But I also caution people from trying to get into conversations with others based on those sort of like intuitive points because mm-hmm. part of the reason why the deniers have been so successful is because there's also – in fact, there may be more counterintuitive concepts in there. And when you frame it as like, oh, it's obvious. Look at this simple concept. It's way – it's very, very, very easy for someone to come around and say, look at this other concept. Doesn't this seem to contradict that? Uh, and, it's be- and it's because a lot of these concepts are in fact very counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. But I also just sort of want to oh, no, add that sure. I don't necessarily encourage people to to use that line of attack to go out and sort of start conversations or, or you know convince try and un, try and convince other people on that. Well, well and, and also just like it's not a big enough. It's, it's not. It's not. We're not. It, the global warming isn't happening just because glaciers are melting. Like like it's, like it's a net odd effect. But like to, to start with that is sort of starting with like the fourteenth point down rather than like oh you know it's because we have too much carbon in the atmosphere. Right. Right. And another thing that often happens that can seem counterintuitive is people are always saying well. Okay, so our winters have been harsher. Now, why is that the case? How can that possibly be the case if global warming is happening? And uh, so Bill Nye had the best response to this, which is basically that when the temperature rises in the winter, more water evaporates from the surface of the Great Lakes, creating more snowfall, creating harsher blizzards. So it seems like winter is worse, but the, uh, the, that's not because the world is getting colder. It's because the world is getting warmer. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that you know I really because we get this a lot, and and Stefan, we'll go, we'll come back to this a little bit later um, about the sort of and you mentioned this uh, on a previous show, but the insidious um, sort of now opposition, and this came up a lot when we were talking about our Rick Mercer episode, which was the face of climate denial now looks like. Rick Mercer and Justin Trudeau, which is, yes, it is a serious problem, and here's what we're going to do to solve it. But those solutions don't come anywhere near to do it. And people who are pretending to sort of be the reasonable middle uh, are, in fact, sort of saying yes to something, but not actually implementing any of the facts of them. And that's very that's very dangerous because it, it try it what it does is it tries to make people like the information that Rich is putting out right now and, and shows like this make us look like we're on the extreme. Oh, you got no Justin Trudeau. He look he accepts climate change and look what he's proposing. Yeah, but what he his rhetoric on it and his actual actions are leagues different. And these are the actual facts. And the people who think it's not that big a problem or yeah, okay, it's real, but you're exaggerating. No, the facts line up with what we're saying, not with what they're saying. This is not a matter of opinion. This is demonstrable reality. And if you're not aware of that, challenge us, I dare you, because the facts are on our side. The best analogy that I've heard actually regarding a lot of climate policy is um, someone said, someone in Zeitgeist Movement actually said, you know, it's like, it's like we have a board and a nail. And right over there, there's a hammer sitting on the table. And we just keep looking at you. Politicians just keep looking at you saying, you know, we really need to get this nail into the board. What are we going to do about that? Because solutions for climate change, and I will be talking about this later as we get to the end of the presentation, but solutions for climate change are abundant. There are numerous things that we can do to drastically reduce emissions, and most countries simply aren't doing it. 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. Bob. Sorry. <laughs> you assume, you, I've been jumping in so much you assumed I was going to do it again. No, by all means, go ahead. Uh, okay. So one of the other things that we really need to keep our mind that we really need to keep in mind is um, something called the thermal hailing circulation. Now, this is essentially a big, great big conveyor belt of ocean currents. They start up in uh, the northern Atlantic near Greenland. Through the deep waters, they go south down near the ocean floor all the way around the tip of Africa. They warm up, rise to the surface of the ocean around the Indian Ocean, and uh, another branch goes off into the Pacific, warms up. Those two warm branches come back together down around the tip of Africa, and then they go up around the coast of Europe. And what this does, this is responsible for most of the world's weather. So why does England have such balmy winters when really they have the same latitude as Alberta? Well, because those warm ocean currents are coming along and basically warming everything up. But those ocean currents, they have a much more important function. They deliver oxygen from the surface of the ocean down into the depths where it's, where it's used to nourish all kinds of marine life. Now, what uh, geologists have determined is that when the Earth's temperature rises just a couple of degrees, those ocean currents stop. The global conveyor belt just turns off. If that happens, nothing delivers oxygen from the surface into the watery depths, which means all of that marine life dies. And if that's not bad enough, all that dead marine life creates a breeding ground for anaerobic bacteria. These are incredibly toxic bacteria, and they release a toxic chemical called hydrogen sulfide, which will rise up to the surface of the ocean and eventually enter the atmosphere. So not only will this further increase the rate of global warming, it's also incredibly poisonous. If we get too much hydrogen sulfide in the atmosphere, basically a lot of plant and animal life, including humans, will die. So global warming can literally mean the extinction of our species and the creation of a world that's utterly uninhabitable to us. And so that's one of the biggest reasons why we need to step in and make changes now. Yeah, and I, th I think that's, an that's another point. I, I want to get Stefan to jump in on this one too. But that's, that's the thing. That's the point when people go, like we just said a minute ago, that's where people go, oh, come on now. You guys are extremists. You're, it's not going to wipe out all life. No, well, the thing is, it's, it's like, how hard, how long do you leave your hand on a burner? Yeah, if you touch it very briefly and then you take your hand off, you'll get a small burn. If you leave it there a little longer, you'll get a worse burn. And if you don't take it off, your hand will eventually burn off. That's what we're talking about. If you don't do anything and you keep causing the things that cause the problem, yes, it is not just within the, within the realm of possibility, but if, if you do nothing ever about this problem, it is a guaranteed certainty that eventually this will wipe out life on this planet. When it is, we don't know. But the point is that is an actual, not extreme, that is a definitional, <laughs> that is a definitive eventual outcome of not at all dealing with this problem. And that is not an extreme statement. That's a factually accurate statement. But it, and, that's, and that's the difficulty, right? That's the, that's the most fascinating problem about, about climate change specifically is that the, like it's, 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 it's that dealing with the future, you know, it's it's how do you explain to someone that in a thousand years, like you know, something ter like something really, really, really terrible happened? Like you know, it, it's like we're on the slow, we're on the slope downwards, and you keep telling me like, you know, we're going downhill, you know, we're going downhill, you know, we're going downhill, and but no one's like, yeah, but we're not, we're not at the bottom yet. That's that's not happening. <laughs> in fact, I doubt there is a bottom. Yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> well, just, this is not going to hit any ground. 
Sorry, Sabina, I didn't introduce you, but you're jumping in. So Sabina's here. Welcome, Sabina. Hi, Go ahead. thank you. Thank you, Darren. Okay, so I also wanted to talk about the fact that you just said in 1,000 years. It's definitely not in 1,000 years. It's very soon to happen. And something to also think about is actually ocean acidification, which is what kind of you were referring to. And ocean acidification is caused by increasing uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And this is what causes, obviously, uh, global warming. But when CO2 dissolves in the ocean from the atmosphere, it actually forms this sort of acid called carbonic acid and increases the ocean's pH by about one, uh, one pH, which is like to the magnitude of 10. So what actually happens is that because oceans are a sink for atmospheric uh, carbon dioxide, it increases acidification. And usually a lot of the ecosystems and a lot of life in the ocean is pH specific. And it's specific to the certain acidification that has been evolutionary for that um, for that marine life. So when you increase it, even by a pH of one, that ecosystem completely degrades. And it com- it also degrades a lot of um, different shells. And this is how, uh, for example, marine life could be ending and completely dissolving by even very soon in the next 20 years if this increases. And remember that um, fish are a major food source for people. So if we destroy our marine life, um, you're not going to be able to use that as a food source. If the hydrogen sulfide gets into the atmosphere, it's going to kill a lot of plants. You won't have crops as a food source. And it'll also kill animals, which will, you know, if the plants die, the animals will die and also the hydrogen sulfide will kill them. So this really limits our ability to thrive on this planet. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to jump in on, the, on ocean certification, mostly because it contains what is unquestionably my favorite Armageddon scenario. Uh, yes, I get to have favorite Armageddon scenarios. I think we all do, don't yeah, we? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, but the but what but the ocean certification is specifically around to the, that jellyfish are going to rule the world mm. uh, because like jellyfish can are, are some of the most jellyfish are like the cockroaches we, we might of the be ocean. the dinosaurs for jellyfish exactly, and the next great civilization could yeah. be jellyfish. Yeah, because like because they they thrive in high pH levels you know and 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 they're incredibly good at, at at breeding and they're incredibly good at surviving imagine a future war between cockroaches and jellyfish oh man i just wrote in my new i just made a new anime right yeah now. there we go uh, any um, um any mass effect fans out there uh, yes we'll the, leave for the show yes yeah, exactly we'll leave the video game hour will be in the bonus show but yeah but the, the, <laughs> but that's what's fascinating about it is that is that what we have what, what we forget to think about is uh we think about all the ways that it think that that the ecosystem will change uh and then but then you also forget to think about how other life will adapt to it, yeah. right? You know, we, we think about we can say the ocean's acidificating, but that's, that's okay, and that's that, that's happening. But what? Not only will that kill things, other things that now better, you know. And so instead of having dolphins, we get gigantic jellyfish, uh, which again, favorite Armageddon scenario. So so here's the thing, and and this is this is something I want, and partially I'm saying this because you know we're in, we're on a public radio station, and so who knows who could be randomly tuning in right now. Um, so for, if for those people that maybe are the type of people we might be trying to address here, which is people that don't clearly agree with us, and we we're trying to make them, then this is for you. And if not, though, this is something that I think that if you're uh, somebody who's interested in this issue and you're tuning into the Green Majority because you enjoy the show and the environment's an important issue for you, try thinking about applying this. Uh, we we try and do both things on this show, both speak to to people who who need to be convinced and also try and help uh, uh, encourage and and give some ideas to people who want to sort of, you know, are on the same team as us. So here's one of them. One of the things that people will do, deniers will do, or or what modern deniers, aka, yeah, it's true, but 
So like the very situation we had with Rick Mercer last week, and I would argue Justin Trudeau's in exactly the same camp, uh, is they'll say, well, okay, look, but you know, so you're being crazy. It's so extreme to wipe out all life on earth. Look, the chances of this thing is, is this. So for instance, the ocean acidification or pick a, they, what they do is they'll pick a single thing, right? And they say, well, oh, really this thing on its own can't equal extinction to life on earth. It's like, okay, so here's an example. Uh, I just randomly did a search while we're sitting here uh, that the chances of, if you live in Toronto, of being killed by a random stranger are approximately one in 220,000. I don't know where the Toronto Star got the number, but let's just say that's true. So that would be the same as me saying the chances of being killed in Toronto by a stranger are one in 220,000. Therefore, your chances of dying ever are one in 220,000. That's exactly what you're saying if you're trying to make that argument. You think, well, of course that's silly. There are millions of ways that you could die. Exactly. That's the point. There are millions millions or not millions maybe but there are easily thousands of different negative effects and the threat comes the extincting all life on earth threat comes from when you overlap all of their risks right it's the difference between being killed by a stranger and your actual chances of dying Mm. Uh, I, I, Which I, is, I, in case you didn't know, sneak preview, one hundred percent. I'm only the, I'm only playing that song that was uh, that that went viral a couple of years ago uh, from like I think it was an, it was like a safety song, but fun ways to die. It's like um, that's all that's playing on my head the entire time you're saying that. All right, well, say, thank you for the segue, <laughs> Stefan said music. We're going to take our first music break. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, and for putting up with my feisty weedies today because <laughs> I, got, I got more where that's coming from. Uh, we'll also be hearing more from Rich, Stefan, and Sabina, so don't go anywhere. I'm your host, Darren Kaster. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across Canada, now into the United States, and our international listeners on the podcast and all over Canada as well, who are going to be looking forward to a bonus show, just as a reminder, if you're downloading the podcast from our site you do get access to the to a bonus show afterwards which is hosted by sabina uh and as well uh on rabble.ca who are our new partners and uh, and we've been getting some some good traffic over there as well so glad to, glad to have rabble.ca on board as well so uh, without further ado alex who is our faithful technician today what are we going to be listening to sir thanks darren uh today we are going to be listening to toronto band peers uh, they're close friends of mine and i got the chance to go on a mini tour with them uh, a couple weeks ago um, just around the area, but uh, they sing songs about fighting uh, about wars between jellyfish and cockroaches. Yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's hear their song "Ex Teens." They've also got a video out for that song, which I encourage everyone to check out. And welcome back to the Great Majority. Uh, this is your co-host Stefan Hostetter in studio with Sabina. Rich and Darren doing the read-in. We're, if you're just tuning in, you'll see to CIUT 89.5 in the Green Majority. Uh, and we're going to jump into uh, – we're going to get back because you know, here's the thing about the show is that we're not going to spend the entire 60 minutes telling you all the fun ways to die. <laughs> uh, what we're also going to do is come up with, A, uh, right after – we're going to go back to Rich for some, uh, for some, for some, of some, some solutions because it's only fair. Uh, you don't get to spend 60 minutes yelling out how people are going to die without saying how you can still survive. Um, but also we're going to get back to – Fair and balanced, Stefan. Fair. And Fair and balanced, exactly. Um, uh, but then we're all getting to also proving that we can actually just think uh, like like the quote unquote serious people of the world and talk about the Supreme Court and American politics. So before that, though, Rich, uh, let's get into some of the ways we can uh, we can avoid all of these fun ways to die. Okay, so uh, one of the biggest things that we can do it, it's renewable energy. Um, that's been one of the things that a lot of environmental groups have been pushing for for the last ten years. Uh, And it turns out that renewable energy is actually incredibly abundant. Uh, So there was a study by MIT in 2006. It was by an entire team. Uh, What they concluded was that the United States could power itself more than 2,000 times using geothermal energy alone. 
Another study by the University of Delaware suggests that wind power can generate up to 5.75 terawatts, and that's more than half the world's energy demand. And another by MIT suggests that using only the land in the Mojave Desert, solar farms could generate up to 7.4 terawatts of power, and uh, that's more than the other half. So putting it all together, what would be the best approach would obviously be a strategic approach that uses all of these technologies and tailors it for the local environment. Um, we, I know that on the Green Majority, they've said many times that uh, renewables create more jobs than fossil fuels. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And there's uh, we have the I have an entire page uh, book or an entire bookmark bar on my browser of things that I can automatically retweet people when they say that that's not true. <laughs> I, but go ahead and dare me to provide those references because I will drown you in links. This is the second dare you've thrown out there. I'm full of dares today. It must be the consequence of my feisty weedies. Well, your name is Darren. Ah, there That's you right. go. Ooh. Uh, pun master. Uh, so anything else on the on the renewable energy front? Well, that, um, well, the other thing that we should consider is better uh, public transit systems. And one of the things Darren and I were talking about before the show, um, maglev trains. Uh, maglev train systems that link cities. They are powered by electricity, which we know we can easily generate. They ha- have no exhaust, no... Um, no emissions into the atmosphere. They're actually safer and faster than planes. That's something that we should be considering. Also, better public transit in the form of rail cars or subways or just making – and this is, better, be, this is better for accessibility for people in cities as well because oftentimes, um, as we all know, um, everybody relying on private cars for transit um, creates enormous traffic jams. Um, so putting all these things together, there's, there's great hope for what both – in terms of stopping climate change and in terms of improving our quality of life through doing so. So it's my suggestion that all uh, countries make climate action one of their number one priorities. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, and and so to continue our uh, we're not just talking about jellyfish uh, and cockroaches or feisty weedies. We've had a bunch of weird things we said this on the show. You're, you guys are really in for a treat today. Um, uh, we're also going to do something uh, which which I've, this is what I kind of like about the opportunity in the show is that simultaneously uh, I in the first half of the show I get to say something like my favorite Armageddon scenario is is giant jellyfish taking over the oceans uh, and then now I get to actually be reasonable uh, or quote unquote reasonable sound reasonable sound reasonable uh, and then you have to then, then, then the people who might disagree with the first part have to accept that a re- very reasonable person still said the weird Armageddon thing and you have to handle that well played uh, so uh, what, what, and this brings us to the news portion of the show I guess to some extent uh, and the first piece uh, which is funny about this so this is a this is a complicated and odd story uh because it begins uh with it sort of begins and continues with bad generally what people would consider bad news uh but ultimately ends up being hopeful so bear with uh, bear with us uh so about a, about a week and a half ago uh there was a there's a vote by the supreme court of the united states uh that put a temporary freeze on on, on obama's uh, car, uh obama's carbon plan uh, for those who don't know, uh, Obama had significant, uh, we'll say, uh, significant difficulty getting any sort of climate plan passed in either the House or the Senate because they're both controlled by the, Repu- by the Republicans. Uh, so much so that I don't think he he tried once and it got watered down and eventually shot, shot down. Uh, so he, instead he's found other ways to do it, which is the thing Obama's done actually quite consistently in the second term given that Republicans have refused to pass almost anything he says, including a budget uh, for just keeping America 
America running. Uh, so there, he's, there is there is just to jump in. There is actual tape of the Republicans saying that their entire mission during Obama's presidency is just block everything. That's yeah. that's their only job. They sell their mandate mandate is freeze government in its tracks so that this Democratic president cannot do anything. That was they they're on tape saying that that is their only mission during yeah. the last eight years. And yeah. in that sense, they're not even really a party anymore, are they? They're just sort of. There's Well-dressed, a- overpaid speed bumps. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but, <laughs> but very effective speed bumps, uh, so much so that we basically have to take an entire detour. Uh, and that detour has led, to, uh, has led to Obama trying to find a way to reduce carbon without being able to pass any real legislation. Uh, which, and the way to do that, he's found, uh, the way to do that, he's found, is, is using EPA rules about pollution uh, to then, to then uh, regulate coal fire plants uh, and, and, and basically – the coal, the coal states basically say regulate them out of out of function, which the environmentalists would say yay, and the coal states would say no. Um, but basically, what's interesting about this is because he had to do it this way, it has opened himself up to a Supreme Court challenge. Uh, because the the argument is, you know, part of the argument is, well, is he is EPA overstepping its bounds in regulation of, of some of something like carbon. Uh, and 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 so what happened was a week and a half ago was uh, during this EPA ch- d- during the Supreme Court challenge or the court challenge it slowly works it's working its way up towards the Supreme Court uh, the Supreme Court actually came out of the blue uh, unexpectedly and put a freeze on this plan until it had, until it worked its way all the way through the court system uh, it's and and that was sort of a signal as a sign that m- this might get stopped entirely. Uh, and that, and that, when it got to the Supreme Court, they would it would lose. And 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 what's what's super important about this is that not only would the, a loss in the United States could also doom the entire Paris climate deal, uh, because if the United States doesn't take action, climate change, uh, China doesn't take action, and if China and the United States don't take action, uh, it's much much harder to make a case for anybody else to. Uh, and so it's it, it was this point in which could the Supreme Court really have just you know. Arguably doomed us for another for doomed COP uh, twenty one to be another failure, um, and or another catastrophic failure. As I'm sure many activists would call it a failure, anyways, but a worse failure than people think it is already. Uh, and 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 so and so that was a huge concern. Uh, but then uh, a court justice Antonin Scalia uh, passed away, uh, which changed the balance of the court. Uh, in a very fascinating way, and it was interesting watching this sort of break on Twitter because no one really believed it for a while, uh, and then there was just sort of the other, like someone's like, "Where's the second source?" And the second source came out, and then eventually uh, the governor of Texas uh, released a statement. And that was yeah. sort of that was the proof everyone needed. And the most the most predictable thing on earth, uh, Alex Jones and other lunatics are c- claiming it's conspiracy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Obama killed him. Yeah, yeah, personally. Right. I, well, I don't know what they're saying <laughs> today. Uh, but uh, well, and what's fascinating about this also is 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 how quick. Uh, the different people jumped on it. McConnell, who's the head of the Senate, uh, is head of the Senate, basically immediately after Scalia's death, talk about politicizing someone's death. Uh, the Republican senator, uh, like head, head of the Senate, came out almost immediately saying that we are not going to let Obama input another court justice. So we are going to punt this for a year. Yeah, which uh, is important to mention. It will be, I mean, as we as we already said, the entire Republicans' plan for the only thing they wanted to do was block Obama. They have set so many records as far as like things that had to be passed. Uh, I'm temporarily blanking what's it called. Uh, filibuster. Yeah. They, they like not just like, oh, they set a record. Like they, it's a dwarf now. Mm-hmm. They, the rest of the previous history, the entire United, United States history is now, now invisible in the shadow of the records they've been setting as far as obstruction. Uh, so if they do 
try and delay this to the point of being after the election, it will set a record in the history of the United States of – uh, of not having appointed a Supreme mm-hmm. Court judge, and the best part is, and I have to, I have to give credit where credit is due here for the Young Turks uh, for for putting this information together. Uh, and I'll, if you're someone's curious for it, I can direct you to the to the video they did very comprehensively on this. Um, <laughs> they're pretty much ever because this exact situation was in reverse a little while ago, a few years ago, and uh, like a number mm. of years ago. Yeah, it was. And uh, and they're so they're like uh, Ronald Reagan and a whole bunch of other people, but I mean you know Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan from the Republicans is on record saying and of all these guys, all these guys that are saying no, 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 well we can't. There's this rule that you're supposed to do or you're not supposed to do this, which is not a real rule. Um, a few years ago, when the situation was reversed, there's audio tape and video of just about every single one of those Republicans saying making. The the opposite argument because they wanted to be able to elect a conservative judge so they're all they're all full of it yeah it's well, it's it's complete nonsense they have not a shred of dignity yeah well it, yeah it, it's fascinating right it's 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 this it's this complete playing of politics with this with with the highest court in the land uh, although the history of playing politics with the highest court in the land is fascinating uh the, you know, there was a president who who had a had a problem with the fact there were only seven court justices so it was appointed two more uh to ba- and then and then chose who they were and then balanced which then allowed him to get his stuff passed like everyone like it's, it's a fascinating history of of the ways the supreme court has been used in different ways it's uh, it's kind of funny that it's kind of funny that you know while they all they're all like, yes, yes, Antonius Scalia was a wonderful man. He's not. He's one of the biggest hypocrites ever. Um, uh, but what's really funny is that they're not upset that he died. They're upset when he died. Right. Or oh, rather, yeah. who was president when he died. Oh, yeah, exactly. That nobody, nobody, it was like five seconds of, oh, it's really sad that he passed. And that was like, it's, <laughs> they haven't even pretended to try and be like, oh, this is, maybe we need a moment to, you know, this to this great man. is No, no, no. It was immediately like, no, he he died yeah. at the wrong time. We can't do anything about it. Well, and what's fascinating, as, as an aside, is that Antonius Scalia perhaps is one of the greatest examples of being actually able to have di- some discourse with with your opponents. You know, he's quite famously was very good friends with the most liberal judge, Ruth, Gain- Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, it's so it's it's. It's kind of like it's 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 really it's it's an, there's a level of irony uh, that sort of fits uh, this whole scenario that that his death as the most arguably the most conservative perhaps the second most conservative uh, judge on the Supreme Court uh, was was very good friends with both with with, with, with and also Kagan as another liberal judge and yet his death just sparked just immediate firestorm of flame wars from both sides uh, and with no conversation about hey maybe this could prove that we actually could talk reasonably about it uh but what does this all mean is the point of this point of this whole thing uh what it means uh is there's a great article uh that you can post about all the different all the different things that are coming in front of the court over the next over the next six eight months that will be impacted by this by this and it with the presumption that nothing happens uh so just so so our listeners know what happens if there's a split court uh so if it's four and four uh, Mm -hmm. which now we're sort of anticipating on a lot of these issues uh no precedent is set but it gets kicked down to whatever the, the the highest circuit court had decided. The next highest court. Uh, so like the, whatever the, the highest court that set that then got appealed to the Supreme Court had decided. That's that's what happens. No, but no precedent is set. Uh, and so. Uh, what and so it what's interesting about this is it all depends on on the on the makeups of these circuit courts uh, and it just so happens that the circuit court that this that this particular that the that the climate change uh, uh, actions are in is the D.C. Uh, circuit court uh, and it. It has it's overwhelmingly Democrat right now, uh, which it, which means if they're if they if they go the way you sort of presume that they would, uh, this might save Obama's climate change plan. Yeah, and and, and 
Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to do a wrap up because we're getting. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and what's fascinating about that is just like it's here's this here's this monumental moment that gets totally shifted uh, by this sort of this 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 death of a man it's and, and no one really knows how to deal with it it's it, like there's a whole bunch of everyone's articles are sort of one way or the other way and there's not sort of like this understanding of like how do you and it, this is not a question i'm just gonna throw this out as a, as a last thought uh it has nothing really to do with the actual story i was telling but like how do you simultaneously um try to respect all human life and then also sort of understand that perhaps that this happened might save you know future lives yeah and so my thing we're, we've got only about a minute left here so alex will join us in a second here to queue up the next song but something i just wanted to put a fine point on because i know uh many many canadians enjoy watching uh, american politics i know i do um you know i hate to say it but it is generally way more interesting than canadian <laughs> politics uh so it's a bit of a guilty pleasure uh but i want to underline something here and, and i'm i am not I, am, I mean every word of this. I mean it literally. I'm not trying to sort of make a grandiose uh, throwaway statement because I, I do fairly. I do occasionally do that. Especially when you have your feisty beaties in the That's morning. right. Uh, but here, here's the situation, folks. So right now, uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are uh, head-to-head in the Democratic primary. Uh, a lot, The entire establishment wants Hillary Clinton to win, and that includes all of the mainstream media. Why? Well, because all the millionaires that own the mainstream media are all people that donate to Hillary Clinton's campaign. So the system, including the mainstream media, including all the millionaires, all want Clinton to win because they know she won't do anything about the problem. So now the other thing that people might say would be that, well, okay, Bernie Sanders is not electable. All right. Well, you haven't looked at a single poll number then because they recently did. Now, this is numbers. You can go back and check any numbers you like. But basically, the only thing holding people back from supporting Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton is because they don't know what he's about. And as soon as they find out, they immediately prefer Bernie. And if you can go look at the poll numbers, you'll see that effect in there, despite the fact that the entire mainstream media has been trying to demonize him because they they're the ones that are going to get taxed and regulated when he gets into power. It's a direct conflict of interest. So but here's the other thing. They recently did some comparative polling between uh, Hillary Clinton and Republicans and Bernie Sanders and Republicans. Hillary Clinton is currently losing. Now, this is just one poll and these numbers fluctuate. But currently, Hillary Clinton is losing to lunatics such as Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, all three of which are potentially and I'm again, I'm not trying to be polemic here, but I think this is literally true. Essentially, Christian jihadists. This is this is the uh, American Taliban of super evangelical, super lunatic religious nutjobs. They are currently beating Hillary Clinton. Why? Because between uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, the outside candidates who have made, you know, legitimately in one case and completely not legitimately in the other case, but have made campaign money the biggest issue in this American election, have made it so that Hillary Clinton essentially has no defense against Donald Trump. His entire line of attack and one of the many reasons, aside from the overt racism that he's been so popular, is that he's pointing out the corruption in the system. And he's falsely convincing some people that he's outside of that corruption as opposed to the source of it rather than, you know, skip the middleman, go straight to the corrupt guy. Uh, but, but that's the problem. So currently – she is in a bad position. She is very likely to lose to Ted Cruz. If she, if she was to go up against Ted Cruz right now, she, there's something like a six or seven point lead in favor of Ted Cruz. Bernie Sanders is crushing every single one of them by 10 points. That's a giant landslide in politics. And so, so just to put a finer point on this, if we get Ted Cruz, goodbye climate deal, hello pipelines. Goodbye, all international agreement. Bernie Sanders has already said he's very, very in favor of renewable energy. So I don't want to put a fine point on it. It is very possible that whether or not Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton is the campaign could dictate whether or not we, we prevent catastrophic climate change. You think I'm exaggerating? Challenge me, I dare you. Go into our music break. That's three. Third dare. Third dare. I'm full of it. The, today's broadcast of The Green Majority brought to you by Feisty Wheaties. Uh, Alex. <laughs> 
All right. right. I'm going to take a breathe now. Please tell us what we're going to listen to for our next and final music break. Sounds good. Yeah, this is a band from Regina, Saskatchewan called Ra Ra and a new song of theirs called Trip Off the Heart. We're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or possibly on one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country or in the United States on the podcast, which will have a bonus show coming up hosted by Sabina shortly after the regular program is off the air and as well, rabble.ca, our new partner. So um, we've been rattling off here on a number of important issues. Uh, as I mentioned repeatedly, I have had my feisty Wheaties today. Uh, if you like it hmm. and you want to hear more and you want me to continue being sponsored by feisty Wheaties, then email <laughs> us and let us know. And if you think uh, maybe we're a little unhinged this week, we would also appreciate that as well. Feedback <laughs> is very appreciated. Uh, I also wanted to, wanted to point out before we get to that, we've got a, a number of uh, 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 fa- fan. So most of it was fan mail. A couple mm. of people didn't like us, but you know, right. I don't expect to please everybody. <laughs> uh, but we got a lot of writing uh, recently, and I just let people know I do, in fact, so far at least, uh, respond to 100% of all contact. Uh, maybe not immediately because I have to do it when I have free time, but uh, we are very responsive to feedback, comments, criticisms. Uh, please do go ahead and let us know. You can do that at greenmajority.ca. Uh, also, where you'll find uh, other amazing content like uh, our climate cartoons, which I think we're near getting ready oh, yeah. to put out another episode. Isn't that right, Tim? That is true. We are, uh, it's in its final stages. Fabulous. Uh, so when we're, what we're going to do right now is uh, just skim through a couple of other news items. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to get to. Maybe we'll just deal with the, fun, the, the, first, the funny one first just because we just get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we, California has, of course, got an enormous methane leak. Uh, Dubai's got a really aggressive uh, renewable energy target, 75% by, uh, by 2050. Uh, we also, uh, there was a, a recent... Uh, a state of emergency declared in Ontario First Nations uh, community for radioactive particles found in drinking water. But really quickly before we get to those, uh, the Canadian uh, – I'm not entirely clear on the details, but the, just because we're just going to deal with it for one second because I just think it was amusing. Um, uh, so I'm not sure if it's the Canadian government or a contractor or who it was exactly. Uh, but essentially the Canadians uh, have been responsible for developing an environmentally friendly munition. That's right, folks. Environmentally friendly bullets because if you're going to kill people, make sure it's intentional. <laughs> I, this, is, this is one of those moments where I wish Kevin was still on the show. Yes. Uh, because Kevin would have a a beautiful 15-minute rant about the idea of uh, about the idea of environmentally friendly bullets. Well, and maybe it's good he's not because we only have 14 minutes uh, left. Right. So just really quickly, and the only thing we'll say about it, we, you know, that's, you can read the article. I'll link to it if you're interested. But it was, just, it was funny because it's actually a legitimate issue because uh, the munitions uh, dump a whole bunch of toxins into the – whether they're misfired or fired properly, they, the things that they use for accelerants are dumping into groundwater. They're all water-soluble and they leak out of the bullet. And it's contam- It's highly, highly toxic. Um, so it's both legitimate, but it's also just funny that like weapons of death are, are dangerous. Oh yes, exactly. we have to safen the risk on weapons of death. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, if, 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 when you're shooting guns, you just got to be worried that they, the groundwater might be afterwards. That's, that's right. <laughs> only, only kill the people that you that you intend to kill. Very, <laughs> very important. Uh, okay, so that's all we need to say about that. If you want to read the article, it was done by Vice. It's both interesting and kind of amusing. Uh, find that on the website. Let's go to California. Right. Uh, so it's good news, actually. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, in that it's actually now you know the giant methane pipeline that everyone that, that first of all everyone ignored for a while that everyone talked about having ignored it, which is I think the classic news story for environmental things is that the news story becomes how everyone ignored the thing that everyone shouldn't be ignoring uh, instead of what actually was happening half the time. They also with like celebrity trash news, they like to be everyone's talking about when they're not yet. They just right. want them to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's very similar. Uh, but anyways, the uh, but yeah. So the point is that it's actually now it's no longer leaking methane. They've, they've successfully capped it, 
or at least so they say. Right. So here's it. Let's get some numbers on on what this is. So this is a single leak, and and uh, we're going now from the Huffington Post. So we'll credit the article there. Uh, and they did some comparisons about how much methane uh, uh, leaked into the atmosphere. But actually, before I read these numbers, uh, Stefan, uh, remind us what the relationship to methane is to CO two. It's a stronger gas. Yes. It dissipates faster, but its actual impact is higher. Yes, I believe I believe uh, it's twenty times as impact, effective as trapping gas into the into the uh, trapping heat into the atmosphere. Right. So it, it leaves the atmosphere faster, but it's twenty times worse while it's there yes basically exactly. uh, and also at 39 29 29 sabina's here she's got her fact check in front of her yeah, that's yeah, fabulous yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so just really quick so some of the numbers it was uh, it's been equivalent of what's leaked so far and this was remember this was a news item that almost you know went completely unreported uh 1.6 million passenger vehicles driven for a year or the equivalent of 2.8 million tons of waste sent to landfill this is a really nasty one 8.5 uh how many zeros is that wow that's 8.5 billion Pounds of burned coal. <laughs> uh, 700,000 energy homes for one year or 2.1 coal-powered fire plants for one year. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, to, and to link that back uh, to, uh, to Rich's earlier point, that methane is what will be released uh, with, uh, with Duguid's warming. That's, that's what we're looking at being released from the Arctic uh, as, as the permafrost uh, melts. Uh, and this is like – and, and that's, a, that's to a scale that, that this wouldn't even come close to, right? This is you – know, as, as, as much as this massive leak is important, uh, the permafrost methane is just is, – is two levels of which we have no control over. And this, uh, see, this is the thing. And so I'll do, I'll do it really quick. We're going to come back to this. I, I mentioned to somebody just in passing the other day that we're going to do a show about um, the limits of democracy. And, and mm-hmm. what do we mean by that? We're going to do a proper show on it. We won't get into it now. But the idea being is that you know, dem- democracy, a functional democracy, assumes that people know what's going on and can make an informed decision. But most of the time, anywhere between one and two thirds of the general public have no idea what's actually true, and either because they're uninformed or they've been misinformed. So there are limits to using a democratic system in a mostly misinformed. Uh, group of folks. We'll come back to that later. But this is one of those things about, remember from math class uh, when they ask you, this is like grade seven stuff maybe? Mm-hmm. Balancing equations, right? Mm-hmm. So you have two-sided equation. I think it's algebra. Is that what that falls under? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, about balancing equation, which means that if, you're, if, you have, if you have an equal side in between two systems and you have the same factor on both sides, you can remove it, right? Having the same number on both sides of an equation means that you can just ignore it. Right. So people will make this argument about, well, you know, we need we need to have all these uh, cars and all these uh, and all these jobs because we need jobs. So we need to we need the oil pipeline or we need the coal plant because we need jobs. Why? Well, they have need to have money. Why? Well, to buy partially power. Right. Yeah. So if we gave them the power. You can eliminate that. So we're like, oh, well, there'll be less jobs. Yeah, but you also lead, lead less money. So yes, okay, I understand it's more complicated. We'll get into a full show about that. Believe me, I have a full, fully thought out and, and articulated argument based on that. But this you, is just one of those things where like the actual thing that's the actual issue is not at all the thing that ever gets talked about. It's something di- that uh, I always call the busy hands fallacy when I'm uh, talking about this. So what I mean by that is people have this weird obsession where they think that it's good to be doing something but it doesn't matter what the something is even if the something is ultimately destructive um so what we were talking about in your example is the difference between say jobs with renewables and jobs with fossil fuels but people don't care which kinds of jobs they get whether the jobs are leading to some kind of social progress or creating a better you know society or world for us to live in or whether they're causing more pollution more health problems what have you just as long as people are doing something and that's a kind of a, a kind of thinking that i think people need to sort of step past and learn to see that it's not just about creating jobs it's about creating jobs that have a positive net benefit on society 
Full cost accounting, crazy concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to say more about that, or should we move on to Dubai quickly? Here? Uh, well, I'll throw one last thought about it, which I think is interesting, which is that uh, I think it also serves as an excellent mirror as to the problems you have with climate change, mm. uh, which is uh, compare the reactions to this massive methane leak uh, to the reaction to, uh, to an oil spill. Uh, you, know, sp- you know, let's choose one at random. Let's choose Exxon Valdez because uh, it's the most famous one. Uh, that was world news. And, the, and yet, arguably, methane, this methane leak was probably worse, uh, at least from a climate perspective, was definitely worse, uh, you know, from a, from a in, endangering seals, you know, better. Uh, and I think that's the problem. Uh, it, the problem with trying to deal with the, the way this acts as a mirror is that it was an invisible issue. Uh, you, you couldn't just point to something and be like, look, there's oil on a seal. That's bad. And everyone's like, yeah, that is bad. There's an oil in the seal. You can't say, hey, there's methane near that bird. Uh, that's just not an effective sign to make. But what was actually happening was that a lot of the people that were living near that area were getting nosebleeds and headaches, and they all actually had to go and live in hotels. So it was directly affecting the health of the people. However, because it was directly affecting them and nothing else around it and it's invisible not a lot of people are yeah really and, and the point being take that if, the image of the uh, oil covered duck or whatever and the point being if, if the next month there was a similar leak three states over the folks in this state wouldn't react mm-hmm. right. very likely based on historical they wouldn't react in the same way that people three states over from this leak aren't aren't reacting because they're the only well this is really unfair in my life and my house my house value is going down and i'm sick okay great well where were you a week ago when it was happening to your neighbors yeah and and that's that's the problem with these sort of that's the problem with invisible uh these invisible uh issues right is that is that if you can't our brains just don't function in a way to really react to 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 things that are just happening when we can't see yeah. So speaking of invisible issues now, moving to the Middle East, United Arab, United Arab Emirates uh, has uh, said that the Dubai uh, has launched the Dubai Clean Energy Strategy 2050. The ambitious goal uh, has renewable targets of 7% by 2020, 25% of 2030, and 75% by 2050. Now, these are not the believe these are actually not the most uh, aggressive goals on the planet. The point here is that this is Dubai, <laughs> a ridiculous city built <laughs> on a ridiculous amount of oil wells. And the most incentivized to be pro oil on the planet, even more than Canadians, because even in Canada, this is, you know, it was a very important part of our economy, but it's only part of our economy. This is essentially the entirety of their wealth comes from oil. And you know what they're doing? They're doing the same thing Norway and a whole bunch of other hippie liberal left wing countries are doing and going, oh, we're going to need something new soon. We aren't entirely sure when that is. I don't even honestly. I don't even think this has anything to do with climate change. It's not called the climate change plan. It's called the clean energy strategy. And the reason for that is because they know perfectly well where oil is going, and they're spending the money while they've got it on the next technology. So if you're going to tell me that the that the oil companies in Alberta have more sort of fair and balanced and the public in mind goals when they promote their energy products than the people in Dubai, you're a lunatic. You're just not paying attention. The, we're, the, uh, anyone right now who's saying that the future is in oil is just certifiably nuts. <laughs> well, uh, please. So, sorry, I was going to say, how can the future be in a finite, exhaustible resource that a lot of people think has already reached its peak? Yeah. Well, yeah, and and like and, and that's what's so fascinating about it, right? Is is the is the sort of back and forth that we that that people sort of have um, with this question of 
it, it, like with the question of sort of what's being the most the idea that you have to support uh, that, that's a big question that's that's the biggest battles happening right now in Canada right is that is like people are asking like why aren't Canadians stepping up uh, for for Alberta and for for Calgarians and for oil workers why aren't we sort of and what's weird about that is the way we they expect us to step up is to blindly support. Canadians' oil industry, rather than say, I don't know, finding them a different job that's not part of a dying industry that's also killing the world. Like it's like it's like the way, the only way to support uh, Alberta in this sort of in this rhetoric, which is proven by by, uh, by uh, Rex Murphy's article that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. is this idea that it's you ha- what you have to do is support the oil, and because that's all they can do. When when even in Rex Murphy's article, he admits that that only started twenty years ago, yeah. and yet it's like no, that's what's happening. All right. So, and the, the most important thing is I want, we want to say something really quickly about the uh, about the radioactive particles in drinking water and the, the water emergency is that uh, so with another line in this article this is off Revolve Solar again like everything we source every article this will be in the in the notes it says. Um, uh, the part of their intentional model is not just to protect themselves and produce renewable energy, but it's because they are trying to transition their thing. Like they specifically said the entire point of the plan is their growing commitment to creating a model for sustainable energy that can be readily adopted by countries dependent on oil exports. They are switching their business model to be a net exporter of renewable energy technology so that they can get rich off renewable energy the same way they got rich off oil. Wake up, Canada. That could be us. And it should be. It should be, and it can be. So that's all I have to say about that. You were not kidding about your Wheaties. Uh, we are actually sponsored by Feisty Wheaties. Someone invent that <laughs> company Wheaties. and then pay us. All right. Uh, so uh, the last story, because we're running. The last thing really quick. We only got a minute left, and I apologize. The reason we didn't spend too much time on it is, is you know, we didn't rank these stories in order of importance by any means. They were simply in order of, of the ones I was aware of. This one really just came in at the last minute. Um, so so please, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but I just I literally was published this morning, I think, and I just saw it. But uh, there is currently a, a state of emergency declared uh, in a First Nation in northwestern Ontario. Uh, it's, uh, they have a not-consume-water advisory in, uh, issued by uh, Health Canada, and it's, uh, it has been directly linked to radioactive particles found in, uh, in the water source. Uh, and, and, and I want to, just an aside, uh, what I find so fascinating about this story in particular is it really highlights, uh, hey, Canada, we don't get to be so high and mighty about Flint, Michigan. That's that's yeah. not really what we get to do. Uh, and we'll <laughs> we'll, let's, we'll finish that thought in the bonus show. So we're we're done for the radio show today. If you go to the podcast as well, uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll have uh, more content as well. Sabina is going to join us here and sort of run us through the the bonus show. Uh, Rich is also going to stick around, so Rich will join us for another few minutes uh, as well. So uh, if you're uh, listening on one of our uh, radio syndicates, you can you can catch additional part of the show at greenmajority.ca by subscribing to the podcast. Also, Stefan, we've got uh, climate cartoons coming out. We're going to be at some point redoing our website for the yes. nine. Million millionth time uh, but stefan's in charge this time Hello. so who knows what to expect it's gonna be nuts. Uh, and a bunch of other stuff so check out the podcast check out the notes uh and other than that have a good green week folks we really appreciate you uh, appreciate you listening and you can contact us we're very responsive at greenmajority.ca but that's it for the regular show have good green weeks folks and we'll see you all real soon So thanks so much for listening to The Green Majority. just want to let people know as well that we could really uh, appreciate and use some support if you're able to support us. We're, uh, we're doing trying to do a really hard job to, uh, to sort of have a very aggressive stance and defend the, the facts and information uh, that we think is readable. It's not sort of a, an opinion that we're, we're defending here, but we think it's factual. It's factual information that we think we're defending. And we could do a much better job of it if, uh, if anyone there is able to help us out. So if you can, please go to greenmajority.ca uh, and check out the support us link. Or you can just go to Patreon, which is uh, www.patreon is how it's spelled, eon.com uh, slash greenmajority. Thanks so much. And here's the bonus show.
right, and welcome to the bonus show hosted by Sabina and Alex. Uh, we mentioned the whole show that it was going to be Sabina, but now Alex is also going to host. Uh, thank you very much to the two of you. Uh, as an aside, I want to point out that you, the podcast listeners, are probably the only people n- not confused when Darren just threw in Sabina's name for the first time on air. Uh, so you, my our, 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 our favorite friends, uh, get to understand who Sabina was. The entire C- the entire CHD listening says of the people might have been a little confused. Um, but with that, uh, Sabina and Alex, take it away. But, I mean, he did really have those uh, feisty weedies, so he just <laughs> wanted to throw people off by just throwing my name out in there. Uh, Where do we buy feisty weedies anyway? Did we f- figure that out? I might not have been listening. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, so just recently this week, uh, there was an article that just recently came out about a not-for-profit that is trying to reduce food waste. And Alex, you wanted to talk a little bit about Yeah, that. for sure. Um, the article is by National Geographic. And basically, uh, it talks about how um, about 800 million people worldwide are suffering from hunger, but we're squandering uh, so much food globally, about 2.9 trillion pounds per year, uh, that we could feed those people twice with all that food. Um, so uh, the article goes on to talk about how in developing countries, um, it's it's difficult to actually harvest the food and, and store it for enough time to get it to people. Uh, and then in developed countries like Canada, um, people may be buying the food, but then just wasting it after that. So at, at the restaurant or consumer stage, uh, food is getting thrown in the garbage, uh, and just left left behind because uh, we have such an abundance and, and don't really care. Um, but anyways, um, the environmental implications of food waste, um, mostly uh, all all of the resources that are needed to uh, to create all the food that we then aren't eating could be better put towards uh, towards something else, and and really. Um, it, it serves a lesson as a lesson for uh, the environmental movement to try to become more efficient um, by uh, by just redu- like what by reducing uh, what we don't need um, to try to uh, focus on what we do. Actually, that's that's really interesting, and thank you for bringing up that article. What's really really funny is that there has been uh, a lot of these like ugly food. Uh, restaurants popping up, especially in France, like there's an entire grocery store just dedicated to ugly fruits and ugly foods. <laughs> and it really, what does it matter if a carrot has two legs? Like really, does it matter if it's going to taste exactly like a carrot? So I think that it's really, really important to keep uh, continuing on this no waste society and minimum minimizing as much as we possibly can. One of the uh, one of the things that uh, we often talk about in TZM is the fact that. Um, to truly economize, so to, to uh, an economy, uh, economics was originally in Greek, uh, the management of a household. And what, what we truly mean by efficiency is absence of waste. And in nature, nothing is ever wasted. Everything sort of feeds into itself, um, you know, leaves fall, which then decompose and nourish the soil and all of these things. So uh, we want to try, and this is something, this is not something that's, you know, that's impossible from a human perspective. Astronauts do this. Like everything in um, in the space station and in uh, space shuttles has to be recycled. So, and I'm not making this up, when astronauts go into space and they pee, they extract the water from that and then they drink that water. 
So everything has to be um, – um, and that's, that's how you truly minimize pollution. Well, and, and I think there's uh, that's what's so fascinating about the, the like the idea of efficiencies has been a movement in all different areas within the within within environmentalism, which is I think the is which is the because I think what we came to a point which is that so that really the last fifty years we've been in this funny little point where we're looking at actually. Uh, all of the idea of like of food, the idea of energy, all this stuff was treated as a as a really just like you made enough stuff for MS people would buy it. You know, it was all a market economy. That was the whole point. Uh, it was just there was no understanding that if you lower requirements, something you would need less of other things because the point was just more was always better. Uh, and now you're seeing this shift back, especially within you know with uh, with the within you know, Darren mentioned the next uh, climate cartoons of the video. It's entirely about the sort of understanding of Emery Levins, who sort of brought back the idea of instead of creating a hard path energy system, in a, which is really just sort of create enough energy and keep creating enough energy to create whatever demand increases uh, to have a more holistic understanding. And the holistic understanding is like, well, if you reduce the energy demand, you actually, it's as good as making more energy. You know, it's that, it's that sort of central question that actually that, that Rich, you mentioned even in the show, which was that it's the idle, it's the busy hand syndrome or the busy hand, you know, the idea that, uh, well, it's better to have making more energy or making more food because more people are busy making this food instead of just, I don't know, just eating the food we've already made and distributing yeah. it better. Yeah. And that's one of the, what's well, one of the biggest issues is, um, so we, as it stands right now, earth is producing enough food for 10 billion people. There are only 7 billion on this planet. It makes no sense that one billion or close to one billion of them starve. That does not make any mathematical sense whatsoever. It's simply that, as we've pointed out, that uh, so much of the food goes to waste and the political structures in many of the impoverished countries simply don't allow for people to get access to the food. It's not that the food doesn't exist. It's that people can't access it because of the political and economic structures that they have to live in. Um, and so one of the things that could easily – that I think bears mentioning – Sorry. Come closer to the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, bears mentioning in um, – is uh, another way of dealing with uh, poverty. Um, do you guys know vert- vertical farming technology? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so th- what that means for listeners who don't understand it is, um, so picture, picture a skyscraper of 30 floors. Each floor is a different crop. Um, through a- hydroponic and aeroponic means, they can basically create, uh, grow crops much faster than they could um, over standard farming over land. And use about 10% of the water, so that's a big plus. And um, on top of that, uh, you basically I believe so. Now it depends on the crop. So something like um, I believe corn, you, you can grow it six times faster. But strawberries, you can actually grow them 30 times faster. So um, you can be producing. If we really needed to produce more food, the means do exist for us. Um, but also, as we pointed out, simply not wasting food and not like you know. Not refusing to eat a pear because it's got a dent in it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, did you, yeah, Alex, you were going to jump in and saying, "Yeah, have to. yeah, for sure." But mine sort of moves us away from this topic. So if that's totally something. fine, jump away. Uh, I, I'm going to jump us into two other topics to, to end the bonus show. So you might as well jump. Okay, I'll jump cool. Um, well, yeah, what I was going to say is the biggest roadblock uh, uh, on the road to efficiency is the idea that economic shrinkage is sort of like the uh, the worst thing that can happen because I think to make something like the food system more efficient, uh, it does require l- less of uh, less economic input and output, but then ultimately a greater uh, greater abundance uh, through that. 
And that's something that sort of uh, throughout the environmental movement, uh, everybody's like, oh, environmentalism is just not practical because uh, the economic uh, consequences and, and uh, the shrinkage of the economy has to be avoided at all costs. But but if uh, econo- if if uh, economic growth or prosperity equals uh, abundance and wealth for everyone, then um, economic shrinkage uh, towards efficiency is actually something that everybody should should uh, should want. Uh, first, uh, which, which, uh, what's, what's interesting about that is that that actually brings up two different points. Uh, well, first of all, I can't hear the word shrinkage without thinking of Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> secondly, um, uh, what's interesting about that is that, that, it, that, that, that there's two little pieces of it. One, uh, so the first one I'll say is that the idea of, of unlimited growth is a fascinating uh, and very, very long topic. Uh, I tried to write, I wrote, tried to write five, I wrote five consecutive articles for it uh, about this topic on uh, on Alternative Journal about a year and a half ago, and it's it, it's 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 fascinating and should just be – and there's so many different ways that they can be looked into it that I highly recommend everyone just try to understand the limits of growth. It's a fascinating piece uh, or just fascinating – like the, there's a book called Limits of Growth, which you can also read. Um, but there's this – all the growth – the growth idea is a whole thing. Uh, but two, which actually seg- – which is a great segue, so thank you, um, is this idea that, uh, that, that when you say something like we need to be more efficient – uh, and everyone says, everyone says, "Well, that's not that's, that, that's not going to make that, that, that we're losing a bunch of jobs." That's sort of like saying, "Well, cars are like we shouldn't have cars because man, those horse people make horseshoes are all going to be out of work." You know, uh, it's this weird idea that it's weird idea that the jobs we have now are the only jobs that can exist. Um, and yeah, so to be done, then we'll jump back to how the segues. Yeah, so I actually, for an example for that, and it's my favorite, is the Uber effect. Mm. You know, exactly, Uber created like this disruptive, using this disruptive technology, and uh, a lot of taxi drivers are really, really angry about it, but it's actually utilizing all of these cars to the maximum mm. instead of uh, continuing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as an aside, I have an incredibly long rant about how much I hate Uber, which I will get into later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Sabina and I will have a will have a battle. We'll battle out uh, Uber versus non Uber. Uh, but the way that transitions is we got a text during the show from friend of the show uh, Jeff, uh, who says that the oil industry should work with the sustainable energy sector to transmute their dying industry because uh, we need oil to develop sustainable energy anyway, which is true. And that's what's so fascinating about this is that is that that when we talk about the difference between an oil uh, an oil company and an energy company, uh, the idea is what what really matters, right? What we need is energy. When no environmentalist is out there saying what we need to go is back to the Stone Age, where no one ha- where we don't power any energy, and that's where we go. Well, someone probably says that, but that they don't speak for me, uh, and I feel like they probably don't speak for the show, even though the show for does me. not technically take positions, even the position that we should not go back to the Stone Age. We take no positions. Um, Darren would, would be happy if I said that. Correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but haven't, haven't some of the big oil companies, or at least one of them, uh, started to invest heavily in green energy? Yeah. So a bunch of different oil companies have done different types of investing. Uh, the question is exactly how much they've done, um, and it, like, yeah, so like there's a, like there's so many oil, every every oil company now has a renewable energy division uh, or almost every one of them uh, but the question is exactly the scale at which they're really operating and when the scale they need to be operating um, and to f- finish the show I want to bring back uh, just this last bit of conversation about the about the First Nations uh, water reserve uh, not because this particular one is uh, is overtly. Uh, um, it's it's it, like this one is currently happening in northwestern Ontario, as Darren mentioned, um, and it's it's affecting fifty people. Like fifty people are currently on this reserve who are being affected by it. But what it highlights really is this this complete lack of 
caring that the government has for for different for nation, first nations um, it, where they from helping where they live because uh, the example of this is that there's a in this article they mentioned that this community of people have been using portable water treatment plants for 15 years we're not doing anything and we're not trying to do anything and so the idea is like and what's crazy about this is like is that everyone who, when you read the article everyone who's being affected by it now and, and this is happening water crises are happening all across Canada and uh, in this sort of way and and it's it, which is why we can't get high money but Flint Michigan because we are doing it and we're just ignoring it um, but like these here none of them are surprised it's 50 people who are like, man, we always knew the water was, was not good, uh, and now it's just proof. And that's what keeps happening, right? Is that we keep getting these po- points where uh, everyone sort of knows something, they're being poisoned, uh, and the government isn't doing enough to do anything about it. And then only until now, you know, when, it's, when, it, when you, it gets so bad that a state of emergency has to be declared, that's when suddenly anyone, everyone looks at it. Um, and, and, and it's just sort of like... Maybe everyone should have clean water. It's almost like it's a universal human right, regardless of what the uh, Nestle says. It should be. <laughs> it is. It's we're going to it's going to the UN uh, and what, something we've signed on to, what everyone else has signed on to. Uh, the only people who apparently don't agree to it is every rich person, every rich government in the in, that doesn't feel like helping people, uh, and also uh, you know the oh, the CEO of Nestle. Uh, and with that, uh, as long as the two of you are, are, are cool with it, uh, great hosts are giving me the okay. Uh, but I'm gonna let I'm, I'm gonna let one of them do the readout. Yeah, no, read out, read out. What's the readout? Uh, this is the green majority. <laughs> gotcha. This is the green majority. Uh, and thank you very much. Have a happy green week.